Someone sent me this week a video on, by Paul Keith Davis on what God is looking for in this hour. I don't know if you got to see that, but it was the Lord's looking for those that are courageous. They have courage. And um, I was thinking about that because I believe that is, was confirming the theme, the overcomers. If you, if you are an overcomer in this hour, you're going to have to be courageous, strong and courageous. You're not going to be what the Scripture speaks about, a coward. And, and I want to look at that just to begin this morning. Look over in Revelation chapter 21. And I want to look at some Scriptures and then there's something that I have to release and we have to speak over our nation because of things that are going on. How many of you know if the church doesn't speak up, if the church is the voice. We're the pillar and the support of the truth. And our senators, our congressmen can only do so much. You know, they have a different realm of authority, but the church is a much higher authority. I mean, you, you could be the president. You could be a congressman. I'm telling you, to be a son of the living God is far greater in the authority realm. You know, the church of Jesus Christ, we have way more authority to impact nations than they do in Washington, D.C. How I many of you know that? I mean, they may legislate things and they can discuss and, and then not tell us a lot of things that are going on too, and that's what often happens. But we have the real authority. If we speak the word and if we declare that word, right? So that's what I'm going to do today. You've got to pray for me because there's something I've got to get out and uh, when, when that time starts. But look over in, uh, where was I? Revelation chapter 21. Remember in verse 1, we, we looked at this a few weeks ago about the new Jerusalem. We got to have the new Jerusalem. And the new Jerusalem's coming. He said, I saw a new heaven, a new earth, and the first heaven, the first earth passed away. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared. We know the Lord's preparing. Look in verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Say, no crying. There's no crying. You know, there is some crying now, and there is some tears now there is obviously death now but there's going to be a day no more crying no more death no more sorrow and that's that's what he wants us to know the things we're going through now will come to an end there's a new heaven and a new earth that's arising and um oh and he says in verse five behold i make all things new and then look in verse seven and eight because this is the theme verse for this conference that we're going to be hosting in may he who overcomes and we saw the meaning, the a conqueror, the one who gets the victory, the, those who endure. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And what, if you look that up, it really means, and God will give you all things. So it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Not everybody is going to possess the kingdom, their inheritance. The overcomers, are, have, they have a, a special inheritance reserved for them. And he says, he shall give you all things, and I will be his God. Now that is key, because in that scripture, it's not just God as a noun or as a person. He is, but it's God in action. Those who overcome, those who make that choice to endure, 
in this hour, they will see God move on their behalf like they've never dreamed He would be moving on their behalf. Remember Isaiah, it says, those that wait for Him, He will act for those that wait for Him. And so God's going to be moving. I will be their God, His God. So we're going to see God be God for the people that are overcomers. Do you understand what I'm saying? I will be His God, and He shall be my Son. And that, I believe, we never really got to discussing this, but we will one day. I think that is the kind of Son that all of creation is waiting for. You know, the all of creation waiting, moaning for the creation, for the revealing of the sons of God. But then here's that really tricky verse, verse 8. But the cowardly. So the opposite of overcoming, or the opposite of being courageous, is what? A coward. But the cowardly. That's where the church cannot be in this hour. The unbelieving. And it's interesting, cowardly is in the same listing with unbelieving. And, and what that really means is the sinners in the Greek. So the cowardly are considered among the sinners. The abominable. Now this is really interesting, that word abominable. This is not talking about the abominable snowman. I never saw that movie. Or maybe I did, I can't remember, but that came to my mind. But in the, word, in the Greek, the word abominable means to stink. Interesting. Detestable. Despicable. Diabolical. Hateful. Contemptible. Disgusting. Repulsive. Disagreeable. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I saw a lot of that on display this past week during the State of the Union address. I saw exactly the abominable. And, and it's pretty incredible. Contemptible, diabolical, disgusting, detestable, hateful, disagreeable, repulsive, vile, all these things. The abominable. This is really heavy. Murderers. It's sexually immoral. Now, that's important to know. You know, we've been having these Thursday night conquer series with some of our men. About 30 men are coming. It's wonderful. I'm telling you, there's an anointing on this series, isn't there? It's incredible. And uh, because we're learning that what happens with pornography, that the enemy creates a trail in your mind when you view pornography. And it's all over, everywhere. By the time you're very small, you know, growing up, you're bombarded with this. And so these trails are created in your brain. And they create activity or a certain behavior. And so we have to break this. We have to have a renewed mind. But anyway, we're going through this series. And it doesn't mean everybody is in bondage that are coming. We just want to learn so we can help people get set free. How I many of you know it's an issue in America? Pornography, sexual immorality... I can also tell you we had leadership meetings this past week with Rick and the various pastors. And the last day we always pray for one another. And so they're getting words for people. Rick Joyner, he doesn't often give me a word. I mean, I've known Rick for a hundred, not a hundred years, but a bunch of years. He's given me very few words. But he said he saw in this congregation a javelin stuck through the entire building. A sword, a javelin. And he said he believed it was Phineas's javelin. And I looked that up in Numbers, I think it's Numbers chapter 25, and how Phineas had a zeal for the Lord, rose up. There was a plague that had come because of the sin of the land. 
and Phineas rose up, acted on behalf of God, and uh, did some incredible things there. But uh, he hung the offenders. Now, we don't hang the offenders today. Someone was hung for on our behalf. His name was Jesus. He hung on a cross. But we point people to the cross. We proclaim the cross. That's the only answer, right? And so anyway, because of Phineas's zeal, his descendants, you know, were also called and were given zeal and had favor with the Lord. And, and so I'm just believing God's using us right now to bring down pornography. I know we're a small group, but it's a major problem. But I believe God's using us to bring that thing down in our nation and bring down sexual immorality. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's God. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna trust him. But I think that's pretty awesome that we have Phineas's sword, Phineas's javelin. You know, we, we're those that are zealous for the Lord and hell is on the lookout for you. That's a good thing. I'd rather ha have hell looking out for us than hell welcoming us. You know what I mean? We should be a threat to hell. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I ain't even got to the message yet. But we got to talk about this because I want to get into it. And then he says, sorcerers. Some of you know what sorcerers is. Pharmakia. It's that old word where we get pharmacy. It means a drug, spell-giving, potion, pharmacist, a poisoner. What do you mean? A poisoner, a magician. And anyway, I'm not going to go into great detail in that, but I believe some of that is true. You know, there's an epidemic in America. People are bound by pharmacia and things like that, but we'll save that for another day. Then he goes on, idolaters and um, all liars. Now, all these cowards, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So the only ones that won't be there are the what? Overcomers. So that's why we're going to have this little conference in May because we want to release the anointing to be overcomers. Now, you know, one of the, the keys to courage, I can tell you, is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the, you know, the outpouring of the Spirit and what would happen and we were asking God to do that. And, you know, when, they, when the Spirit is poured out, there's power. There, the gifts are stirred up. They're, they're made known. There's the unction. Remember that we talked about the unction to function. The unction is not to make you popular, not to give you a big ministry. It's not to make you the king of whatever or whatever. The unction is so that you might function. Doing the will of God, casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead. You're going to need a lot of unction to do that. Preaching the gospel to the poor. That's the reason for the unction. It's not to make us anything special. It's to point people to the one who is special and to do the functioning, to be a functioning member of the body of Christ. Amen. We all got that. But then also, there's something else, another reason for the outpouring of the Spirit. Look over, if you would, to Acts chapter 4. Say, I'm with you this morning. You know, when everybody's attending a snowstorm, we didn't, we didn't even have any snow. I wish we had. All we had is a little ice. Not even much of that. I wish it would snow cats and dogs. I like snow. You know, 
I like the snow. I like to get out in it. And my dog goes crazy in it and stuff. It didn't even snow. It was a false alarm. There's not even much ice. It's ridiculous. It's probably all going to be gone by the time we walk out those doors. Then it's just going to be good old-fashioned rain. But anyway, Acts chapter 4, verse 25. Now, this is really timely for the hour because he's quoting Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? Sounds like some of what's going on in America right now. There's a lot of raging, a lot of anger. Really abominable, detestable anger and rage. Now, you know how God looks at all this stuff? Keep that mark, but look over in Psalm 2 real quick. I've got to show you this. You're not in a hurry, are you? Okay, because I've got to show you. How does God react when the nations are raging? And there's anger and there's all this stuff, disgusting, detestable behavior that we see that's going to happen in the book of in, that we read about in Revelation. Well, look in Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot vain things. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. There are a lot of people saying that now. We're going to break this stuff. We're going to break America. But here's how God is responding. Look in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. God's laughing. That gives us permission to laugh, too. I tell you, I heard Rodney the other night. They, they had this conference. We, we didn't go to this one down at uh, the river in Tampa. But he was talking about the joy of the Lord. And, you know, when the Holy Spirit first broke out over his ministry, there was a lot of joy. And he said that pastors will ask him today. They'll call him up. Hey, Rodney, you still got some of that joy? You still got... What do you mean? You think of... The way Rodney puts it, he said, no, no, we don't have that anymore. Now we've moved from joy into depression, you know. But of course we've got the joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And uh, we've got to have joy in this hour. If anything's going to make the devil mad, the abominable matter, it is when the church is filled with great joy, great hope. So he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. So he's going to laugh, and then he'll hold them in derision. And then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. And then you can go on and read the rest of this. And, uh, but God says, in the midst of all this, ask me for the nations, because I'm going to give you an inheritance. So when you see everything, when you see hell erupting, go for heaven. Go for it all, because I'm going to move on your behalf. I'm going to show you that I am your God in the midst of everything that's going on. Okay, let's go back now to where we were in Acts chapter 4. And uh, looking at all this, because he says the nations rage, the people plot vain things. But here's what happens when there's an outpouring of the Spirit. Verse 27. For truly against your anointed servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel... To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. In other words, there were certain things that were going to happen regardless. Now, Lord, so how are the people of God going to respond? Because there are going to be the abominable. We're going to have to live with them a while longer. The detestable. The actual. They hate. They're going to grow in their hatred. How do you live? Well, look what he said. Now, Lord, look on their threats. And what's the answer? 
and grant to your servants that with all what? Boldness. There's that word, boldness or courage. That they may speak your word. In other words, the more they arise, the world, the wicked, the more the church must arise with boldness, speaking the word of God. We must arise. And then he says, by stretching forth your hand, signs and wonders will be done through the holy name of your servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. So that's another reason for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need boldness. We need boldness like we've never needed boldness before. You know, the church used to be bold. In the last days, we're going to be bold again. I'm just telling you, there's a new anointing. It's not going to be because we decided to be bold. You know, we're just going to rise up one morning, wake up and say, I'm going to be bold today. No, we got to have an outpouring of the Spirit and it's going to happen. Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide in the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or the evil side. Let me repeat that. Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide in the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or the evil side. And a man by the name of James Lowell Russell is credited with that quote. He lived during the Civil War, during the 1800s. And he, during that time, of course, saw what was the bloodiest war that happened on American soil. What was it, 620,000? Some people say 750,000. People died during the Civil War. That's at least half or maybe more or maybe just under all the wars that Americans have ever fought and died in. They, we lost the most during that time. And, uh, but if it hadn't have happened, if we had not have had the Civil War, then a nation divided may have never been united and preserved, at least until other opportune times when enemies of liberty would emerge. And now Russell, I, I did some research, some further research. He was a, a uh, succeeder. He succeeded Henry Wadsworth Longfeller at uh, Harvard University. He was an author. A, he was a poet. He editor, critic. You know, he was opposed to slavery. He was one of those voices. Later, he was an American diplomat. He also was a humorist. Now, during the Civil War, there were those who thought, we don't need humorists. You know, this is not a humorous. But Abraham Lincoln thought they needed humorous. So he liked him. And uh, he liked this guy's writing. Because you, you need to learn how to laugh a little bit when all the stuff was going on around you. Cities were burning. People were dying. You've got to have a little humor. Remember, whatever's going on in the earth, God sits in the heaven and laughs. It, he wasn't laughing at America. But he still had joy because he could see the end result. God always sees the end from the beginning. We're going through gross darkness, but that storm will not last forever. And God sees what's coming way beyond. But, you know, in regard to being up all that he was, this man Russell probably was a prophet. Because what he said needs to be spoken today. Another thing he said, he said how, he wrote, he said how a sneer is a weapon of the weak. 
when the abominable, when they detest you and they sneer in their faces towards you, it's actually a sign of weakness. But he said, once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or the evil side. And I believe with all of my heart that we've come to a moment of decision in America. We've come to a place where we must again decide between truth and falsehood, between the good and the evil. And I can tell you it will be costly, but to ignore this battle at this time will cost generations to come far more than what you and I go through. We're going to need some heroes in this hour. We're going to need some men and women that are strong and courageous. We must be strong and courageous. America will not survive a bunch of weaklings failing to stand up for the truth. And that comes in both ways. And this is what God was putting on my heart. It's a moment of decision. We've got a, that word decision means to dig a trench. We've got to dig a trench and not back off. And we've got to press forward. And, and I wrote about it. How many of you read that article? Oh, good, you didn't even read it. Some of you, oh, good, you read my stuff. You read my stuff. So you get to hear it again. Oh, you read my stuff. Great. There's a few people. Well, considering the crowd, that's almost, you know, that's not bad. But, you know, there are two groups that have certain responsibilities. One is the church. We, the church is the church of the living God, according to 1 Timothy, and we are the pillar and the ground of the truth. The Amplified Version says we're the prop and the support. If the church doesn't speak the truth, then the foundations will begin to crumble. And the whole thing will fall down. So the truth has to be shouted. If the politicians won't speak the truth, and most of them won't, there's a whole bunch of them that can't speak anything but lies. That's all they speak. They double down on their lies. So who's going to speak the truth in this hour? You and me. And we can't back off. You cannot back off. I don't care. This is not a politically correct time. Well, it is. But it is not for those who are the overcomers. We're not going to be politically correct. The weaklings and the cowards will be politically correct from both parties. Now, one party has been given over to lies. The other one, it's like, I don't know, there's a bunch of cowards. But they are rising up. Some of them are beginning to have a little backbone. And they're drawing, they're digging a trench. Do you know that as far as the church, it says in Ezekiel that we are to teach the people between the holy and the unholy. We're to cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. If we don't do that, what's going to happen? Exactly what's happened in America. We will not know, the people will not know in Isaiah to refuse the evil and choose the good. They will call good evil and evil good. Put darkness for light and light for darkness. But we've got, and then as a result, the foundations will be shaken. But how many of you know Psalm 11? When the foundations are shaken, the right, there is something the righteous can do. It says, what can the righteous do? They can rise up. And that's what's happening, because when the Spirit of the Lord comes in like a flood, the, the Lord will raise a standard against Him, and God is raising that standard right now. It's you and me. It's the church of the Most High God. And we're rising up, and we're speaking the truth. Now, we've got to do our part. 
regardless of the cost. So be it. How many people lost their lives in the Civil War? A bunch of people. How many have lost their lives in this hour? Not that many. But God is calling for a generation to rise up. You know, Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? It'd be better to lose everything the world has to offer. Gain your soul. Be counted among the conquerors and the overcomers in this life. Not the cowards or the abominable. Now for the government. I wish I could speak this to our senators and congressmen today. I really wish somehow by grace you would hear this word because it's not the word of a man. Listen, Romans 13. It says about you, the government, that you are God's minister for good. You are an appointed officer of God to the people. You represent the people, but you represent God. It says, but if the people, it says, if you do evil, be afraid. For he, the government, does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister. Say God's minister. He's in the ministry. People in Washington, you are in the ministry. You're God's minister. An avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And then Paul goes on and reminds them in that. He says that God has raised them up, not as a terror for good works, but for what? To the evil. I mean, if you remember that. So they're God's minister. They wield the sword as a terror to evil, not to good works. But they cannot lay down their sword. And then Paul would remind them of this. In fact, I can tell you right now. Here's what uh, Isaiah says. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let grace be shown to the wicked. Yet in the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly. So my challenge this morning, I'm not through yet, but you, the government must hold lawbreakers and those who are guilty of injustice accountable. If we do not hold them accountable in this hour, those who dealt unjustly, presidents, I don't care what they were, senators, congressmen, if we do not wield the sword and do what's right, in the sight of God, those evildoers will then rise up and overtake the just in the land. They will deal unjustly. You cannot show grace to the wicked. That's why we have the system in the Bible. You are God's minister. You wield the sword as a purpose so that justice would prevail, not injustice. Does that make sense? Now, I know that the Lord will eventually come And he will give every man according to his work. But the church has to be bold, proclaiming the truth. You know, we have the answer when, in fact, there's some folks, if they don't, if they're not held accountable for their crimes against America, they probably will never be saved. But if they're held accountable, then we can reach them. Maybe they're in jail, but we can tell them there's hope. There's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's forgiveness. There's the cross. Someone was hung on our behalf. His name was Jesus. He hung on the cross so the church can rise up. But the government must do it. And I want to pray right now. Then we're going to carry on. But we've got to pray for our senators, our Congress, for President Trump, our judges. They're going to have to be bold in this hour. They don't have many friends. 
Most of the media is America's greatest enemy right now at this moment in history. They are liars and thieves and they are an enemy of our children. That if our government doesn't rise, this is not time to play church. If we do not rise up, there will be no church as it is soon in America. So we must rise up. So I want to pray for our government leaders. You must wield the sword. You must enforce justice to those that have broken the law. I don't care if they were a former president or senators or congressmen. I don't care who they are. We must obey the mandate of Scripture. So let's pray for that, okay? Are you guys with me? God, we pray for our president. Thank you for him, for putting him there. Thank you that he's been a thorn in the flesh of the abominable. God, we thank you that he's also a reminder to the church that it's not time to play church in this hour. You play church, all of our children and grandchildren will suffer because of it. We must be the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. So God, we pray for our congressmen, our senators, that God, they will rise up in this hour, Attorney General Sessions, others that are men and women of integrity, men of honor and women of honor. We ask you to give them the backbone, give them the guts to stand on truth and render justice where there needs to be justice, to wield the sword and bring to account those that have broken the laws of the land. They've disregarded the Constitution. God, we thank you. Give them courage. Lord, we've got their back. We will pray for them. We support them. God, we ask for your anointing. Lord, I remind you of the dream you gave me recently where I saw our president at a table. I saw you. You were talking to me at a table. And we were talking about President Trump. And, and you said, do not touch my anointing. Lord, he's one of your chosen ones, just like everyone in their position this morning. They're God's ministers for good. And so, God, we loose them to do the will of God. We say, do not touch God's appointed and anointed vessels, senators, congressmen, judges, all over the land, governors, mayors, that still are righteous, that still believe in the Word, that still believe in our Constitution. God, we ask you to raise them up, give them courage to be among the overcomers. And God, we thank you, you'll do it. And Lord, regardless of the cost, I believe that if they act swiftly and justly, we can avoid so much. And you will lead us from temptation if we will only obey your word. And so we ask you to do it and we thank you. We will back them up. We will stand with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Just one more time, Joel James Lowell Russell. He said, once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide in the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or the evil side. This is America's valley of decision. We are in the valley of decision. And I pray that our officials will do what's right. Amen. Now, I want you, you keep it running, but this is where you're going to cut it. I just got friends and family here and friends watching, but you're going to cut that part out and we'll make that available somehow. I don't know. You know, it's just by faith. God gives you this stuff and then you say, well, you know, God, we're just a little fooey on that. We're not little. We got a big God. We got a big God. I'm believing for a great, big, great awakening in America. I mean, I'm believing for souls to be saved. I'm believing.
So, I want to finish this up with just you because I wanted to minister. And those that are watching today, you got stuck in the snowstorm and the ice storm. It wasn't even any ice storm. It's hardly any ice. But maybe it'll snow. Maybe not. But we're in a valley of decision too. All of us. We're, we're in those times of decision. And I was thinking, God, what else can I say? What else could I share? And just, I wanted to share with you, these are just a few of the major decisions in my life. Just personal testimony. Just to encourage you, okay? Because how many of you need encouragement? I need encouragement. You guys better encourage me. You know what I mean? Now, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And I do that. I've learned. Because I remember one time Timothy told, or was it Paul that told Timothy, everybody deserted him. You know, but no one stood with me, but the Lord stood with me. And delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. I remember that scripture big. It's a great scripture. And he's, he'll be the same to you. Everybody may desert you, but God will be with you and deliver you out of the mouth of the lion and will deliver you. He does deliver and he will deliver. But there are just some decisions. These are like markers in my own life. So I'll throw it out. Number one, maybe it's good for me just to rehearse. But when I was nine years old, attending a some kind of a RAs. I was in the RAs. You remember the RAs? Royal Ambassadors. It was an RA little campground thing. I don't know. We were way off up in North Louisiana. And I just remember they were talking about Jesus, and I came under conviction. How many of you remember the day you started realizing, wait a minute, I'm lost, I need a Savior? And so I remember after one of the meetings, I went out into a field, and they, uh, there were little pine trees. They must have come through. There must have been a fresh cut, because, you know, there are a lot of pine trees in that part of the country. But I, these were small, so maybe they came through. Now these were regrowth. But I remember kneeling down by that little pine tree. And they said, you're not, you're not supposed to look up into the sun with your eyes. But I remember looking up, maybe not for long, but just a moment. But I was looking to the Son of God. And I just said something like, Jesus, you know, what can a nine-year-old say? I just, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my heart. All the stuff they just told me I receive by faith, I, you, I'm yours. You know what? It stuck. It worked. It worked. It worked. It's amazing. Nine years, I didn't even know what I'm doing. I just said something like, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Come into my heart. Save me. It worked. It works. Call upon the name of the Lord. You shall be saved. Now, I walked away from him a few days, a few times. Between that mark, you know what I mean. But, uh, man, he heard my prayer. Hallelujah. God never walked away from me. And I think back, God, you never walked away from me since that day. That's amazing. And then the second little marker was when I surrendered to preach. Now, I'm skipping a whole bunch, yeah, obviously. But uh, there was a lot of stuff that happened. You know, I'm telling you a lot of things. How many of you know life is full of challenges, upheavals, ups and downs? Sometimes you stay down too long. Then you go further down, you, you know, you mean, then you, but then you get up, you know, life's all that stuff. But anyway, I remember, and this is why I wanted to, you're the only ones that know about it. The guys watching right now that are our friends from the nations, they, they know about this, you know about it. 
But it was... Now, I see the number 44 all the time. All the time. I've shared that, right? And I believe Bob saw 44, Bob Jones. And Ezekiel 44 talks about the glory of the Lord coming into the house of the Lord. And they, you know, they could not minister. Even yesterday, I went to get something from Dollar General. And you know what the price was? $4.44. You know, a while ago, I look at my phone because I'm just kind of seeing what, you know, it's 1044. Just it's stuff like that happens all the time. I just see it. But anyway, this is, oh, thank God, it's 1143. I mean, if it... Although it may be a, it may be a minute slow. I don't know. But I wouldn't, no, it is. No, no, no. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a minute fast. But this is my 44th year since surrendering to preach. And it hit me. I was at Ridgecrest because that's where it happened. Just an hour and a half from here. And I remember kneeling down. I've told you the story many times where I opened my Bible and had a little candle and I read and surrendered. Anyway, 44 years. And I'm telling you that just to remind you, there was one thing that God spoke to me in those days. Because I wondered, how, how is He ever going to use me? And the thought came in my mind, it was God. He said, unless you take the first step, you'll never know the thousands that will follow. And that just kept going over and over. And I took a step and guess what? There have been thousands and thousands and thousands. I'm telling you, there will be thousands and thousands and thousands for you. Well, the next day, the next time is when I knelt down again and asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I didn't know the really, you know, I didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. I was indwelt with the Spirit. They taught me that well. You couldn't convince me. You cannot call Him Lord. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And He will be. He's in you. He will be with you. But then I discovered He will come upon you. How many of you have discovered that? Now, didn't we just read that in Isaiah 32? There will be injustice, there will be a lack of righteousness and peace until the Spirit is poured out from on high upon you. Man, I'm glad I saw that verse. But we know that it's a New Testament principle. The Spirit of God came upon. And all I can tell you is something happened. Boldness came. Boldness for me. But I'm, God's going to stir up the gifts. But if you've never been baptized, if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit... Don't even worry about what you call it. Just get with God and say, God, give me all. Holy Spirit, come, fill me, baptize me, immerse me, come upon me. If you do that, I'm telling you, He'll answer your prayer. And He did me. And that was a major turning point, a marker in my life. And then the fourth one, I'm just going to mention because she's not here. She's with her dad in Pennsylvania spending time on his birthday. Isn't that cool? My wife is with her dad. You know, she just lost her mom. So he went up, she went up, and plus they had to clean out all of her mom's stuff because her mom kept everything. Everything. And so the house is full. So, you know, you got to go do that stuff. You know, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You have to clean out in any way. I just pray mercy on my wife. But anyway, the other great marker decision in my life was the day I asked her to marry me. Now, I'm not going to tell you any more about it because I tell you all the time. But also, in a couple weeks, we're getting close to Valentine's Day. I've, I've challenged Shirley. We're going to try to preach together on, to share our story. And I'm going to share with you from the Scripture. I hear people say, hey, you, there's a number of people you can marry. Baloney. 
baloney. Now, yeah, maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. Maybe, maybe, maybe. You can marry the wrong one. But if you, you know, but, but you can have the right one if you'll wait and you believe God. I don't care what anybody says. So anyway, we'll talk about that. But that was the time when I dug a trench and I hadn't looked back and she hasn't looked back. And she's prettier today than she was all those years ago. And I've told you all that story. I don't want to bore you with it. But it's just part of our testimony. And then the other decision was when I decided. Now listen to this. I met Rick. I was a pastor. After Shirley and I get married, you know, I'm in West Virginia. And I meet Rick Joyner on the battlefield, the Gettysburg battlefield. And I walk, I remember he actually was at a conference, but it is a hotel on the battlefield. So I went to, to him and I said, hey, Rick, my name's David White and I'm going to call you one day. That was my introduction. He didn't say anything, just like Rick is. And so I felt like the stupidest person on the planet. First of all, you don't even know this man. How are you going to call him one day? That's, that's dumb, dumb, dumb. So anyway, I ended up calling him one day. Ended up becoming his assistant for a time. I, I think I was his first. I don't know. There might have been one before me. But, you know, I remember that's the days that they had in, in uh, South Charlotte. And they met in this little cabin. Some of you may have remembered those days. And anyway, I was his assistant. But anyway, there came a time when I had a dream. And the dream was that Rick was in the driver's seat and I was a passenger and we were driving and I looked and I saw a crowd of people somewhere and I, I had to go. I had to go. In the dream, I got out of the car. I said, see you later, Rick. And I have to go see. The, I got to go be with those people. That was a dream. So what happened was I was called to a church in Mississippi and I left Morningstar. I left Rick. People thought I was dumb. I would not have left had I not had that prophetic dream. But I had that prophetic dream, and so I said, no, i got to go. i got to go. This is God. So I went. When I got there, it was an interesting time. I came back. Now, this was, I'm still pastor down in Mississippi, but I came back to a conference at Morningstar, and it was a jamming conference. I think it was the one where the glory came on the stage. It was powerful. I wasn't on staff anymore. I was just one of the people, and I felt, you know, it's okay to be one of the people, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But I was just in the crowd, and so I felt so condemned. I thought, oh, God, I blew it. That stupid dream, I blew it. God, I left this. I could have been a part of this ministry. Now I'm down in Mississippi in a church with 150. God, I've lost it all. I messed up. I made the worst choice of my life. You ever been there? Anybody been there? I felt so condemned. I felt stupid. I felt like I blew it. It was over. So I went back to Mississippi condemned. We had revival in Mississippi. That's when 1,200 plus people were saved over three weeks. We had, it took a little while after that. I had to go through a period of fasting, prayer. We prayed through the phone book. Anyway, it was pretty cool. We saw many people saved. Revival came to southwest Mississippi. And they wrote about it in Charisma magazine and all this stuff. But anyway, so the second part of the dream was, after I got out of the car, I said, Rick, see you later. See you later. I wondered, what did that mean? What, did that, what was that about? And so 
after that revival, somehow we get over into Mobile and we start the Mobile School of the Spirit. And we have these conferences where people come from all over the Gulf Coast. It's pretty amazing. We had a little church, but the church was more to support this uh, ministry. We, had equ we were equipping ministry. We had all these conferences. Bob Jones would come, Bobby and Rick and all kinds of people. But anyway, the day came when Rick asked me to come back. And then it hit me. See you later. That's what that meant. So I'm going back, but you don't know what happened, what I had to leave. My mom just was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. My dad desperately needed me. In fact, the day that I told my dad, I'm leaving, I've got to go, Dad, I've got to go back to North Carolina, my dad wept. You don't know the hurt. You don't know the pain. I wanted to stay and help my dad like nobody because my dad was one of my heroes. He was my hero. I wanted to stay. But because of a prophetic dream, I knew I had to go back. And so we, I said, Dad, I got to go. We left him. I did everything I could to get back to encourage my dad. I drove. Man, in those days, I, I would go. I'd stay up here a month or six weeks. And I'd just drive home for a day. Didn't matter to me. I'd go home to encourage my dad. Help take care of my mom. Did this for like 10 years. But that was a major... And then here's one more decision in all this process. So then we come. All I'm doing is writing discipleship material. And just hanging around. I'm a baseball coach. That was a lot of fun. My son was on my team. He had a mean slider. And I was a great winning baseball coach because of my son's slider. It was great. But... I wasn't preaching, I wasn't, you know. Anyway, I, I, I said, Shirley, we got to go back to Mobile. Yeah, I'm, I'm going home. Take care of my mom, my dad in these closing years, whatever. I prayed that she'd be healed so bad, so much. She would look at me and say, David, why can't you do something? You, you don't know, you know the pain. I wanted so bad to do something. So bad. But anyway, so I'm ready to quit. Leave Morningstar again the second time. Go back home. And then Brad McClendon, the pastor of this church, gives me a word. He says, David, listen to your wife. It was a good word because I went to my wife. She said, I do not believe we're finished. We are, God would not lead us to give up all that we left behind to come up here just to go back home. Let's pray. Well, right after that, guess what happened? Brad McClendon resigned. I wasn't thinking about being a pastor of this church. A couple times it might have crossed my mind and I rebuked it. I just, I don't, I didn't need that stuff. I'm fine. I, I'm enjoying, I'm writing books, doing things. And anyway, right after that, he resigns and Rick calls me in the office and asks me to be the pastor. But now that what you don't know is a couple nights before that, Bob Jones showed up in my dream. And in my dream, I'm lying in the bed, and he comes to the foot of the bed, and he says, Arise. And in the dream, literally, I arise. I'm like levitating. Don't tell people that. There was a dream, A-D-R-E-A-M. In the dream, I'm levitating up out of the bed. And I know what God is saying because I wake up. And that's when Rick asked me. And so I knew what God was doing and I'm telling you, the best is yet to come. It's a best is yet to come. 
So I've shared all that just to tell you, multitudes are in the valley of decision. Nations, some of these nations right now are in the valley of decision. I don't know, you know all the story behind all these nations. Many of these nations we've already touched and we're going to touch a whole bunch more. But you have to make decisions. I have to make decisions. They're markers that will determine the rest of your life. And I'm telling you, I ain't going back. In fact, they ain't nowhere to go back to now. My mom and dad went on to, went on to be with Jesus. They ain't no, I, there's no reason. My brother's there, but, you know, he don't want me to come home. You know, the man wouldn't have me. He's, getting, he's doing great. He's a good friend, too. But I just wanted to challenge you. Make those decisions. Whatever He's calling you to do, decide. Make a decision. God, I'm going to follow you. That's the biggest thing. Those of you watching right now by web stream, that's the greatest decision you'll ever make. You just say, Jesus, I believe in you. That you are the Son of the living God. That you died and rose from the dead. I confess you with my mouth. I believe in my heart. God has raised Jesus from the dead, and I call on you, and I make you, I make a choice today. You are my Lord and Savior. I promise you, you'll never be ashamed. Those that call upon Him will never be put to shame. So that's the number one. Also, some of you, you've been pretty good. You've been making it. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit of God to come upon you. You need the fullness, baptism. I don't care what you call it, the anointing. You just say, Holy Spirit, come upon me and empower me. And He will do that. And we'll lay hands on you today. In fact, some of you can't get here. If you, that's your heart's cry right now, I'm just going to, by faith, lay hands on you. All right? I'm reaching out my hands to you. You reach up to heaven. And in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, come. Baptize. Release the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon everyone that has faith to believe you right now. And they're receiving. They're reaching up. And they're saying, Oh, God, baptize me. Fill me with the Spirit. We thank you. This promise is to our children. It's to us. It's to those that are listening right now and watching. And we release the Holy Spirit, the anointing by faith, as if we were right there laying hands upon them. And we thank you for it. We release that, God. We believe that. We're going to have testimonies, fresh outpourings of the Holy Spirit upon the nations. And that's what we're believing for our nation, God, that the Spirit of God would be poured out upon the land. And take care of the injustice and the, all the things. God, we're trusting you. And then there are others just maybe need to make a decision. You know what it is. I don't know. Maybe it's just say I'm going to serve him. Like I did 44 years ago when I knelt down. And I can tell you, I had no idea how things were going to work out. But God did it. God did it. And God will do it for you. Some of you, I don't know, you may need to go somewhere. Some of you may need to come here. I don't know what he's saying. I'm just telling you, if God's been dealing with you, there's a good old-fashioned word. Let go and let God. Some people say, well, I don't know if I can hang on. Well, quit hanging on. That's the problem. You're trying to hang on. Let go and let God. God, I'm grabbing hold of you. And follow him. Follow the lamb wherever he goes. Follow the shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He leads his sheep into green pasture. He's a good shepherd. How many of you know that? Thank you, Lord.